Once again, good evening, everyone. Delight to see everyone here. And a big, uh, once again, a, a big welcome to all of you to our Monday evening gathering for Flagstaff Insight Meditation Community. And if you're new here, a big welcome for our community where we're exploring the spiritual path together, uh, discovering. And I was reflecting on yet another way to describe this path and this practice. And when I was reflecting on this talk this evening, uh, for me, sometimes when I have a sense of the path and the practice and the way the Buddha taught, it feels like he's speaking to my human predicament, which I think is so cool. It's like, oh, he's speaking to me, which is nice. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever had that with a teaching. It's like, oh, this is, this is about my experience. <laughs> and the particular experience that I feel like he speaks to is, is for me, I feel like I've been thrown into this world and it has its joys and its sorrows and its struggles and its challenges, at least for me. And here is this path and this practice that can help address that, 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 that offers tools and a way of being that can help me navigate that in a way that brings some freedom to my mind and my heart. You could say it's a, a way of living. So not just a technique, but a way of living that uh, I have the opportunity of allowing it to percolate into my entire day. And part of this way of living is nurturing and tending to certain qualities of the heart that, that really support this path and this practice in this, uh, in this direction of freedom. Probably many of you know that there are so many different lists of these qualities of hearts that you find, especially in early, early Buddhism. And I'd like to slow down with just one of those lists, and it's called the, the five spiritual faculties. The, uh, the Pali word, Pali being one of the early scriptural languages of Buddhism. In, in Pali, it's Panchindriya, so Panch is five, and Indriya, I'll share a little bit more about that uh, word. It's connected with this, uh, this deity, actually, Indra, which is interesting, because it's not, it's not really a Buddhist deity, but the, but the word derives from that. these five spiritual faculties. And the way I'd like to begin to describe them is to uh, connect them with, uh, with our sense faculties. Because I, I find it such interesting language that the Buddha is using around these quote unquote spiritual faculties. That they're in some ways similar to my five senses. And, and maybe one way of getting a, a, a feel for this is when you, when you, if we were to reflect on our senses, at least the way I've learned it, is they have arisen out of this interaction with the natural world. Right? So millions of years of interacting with the natural world has given rise to the species that we are. And it also has given rise to the particular way that these senses work. Like my eyes are on the front of my head instead of on the sides because of the particular mammal I am and my ears are on the sides here. And that's been shaped by this interaction with environment. And there's a certain range to all these senses, like there's a certain range to what I can smell and not smell. 
which is so different than probably your dog, right? It's like they have this massive range of smell. Just have a teeny little one, being the species that we are. And the same with sight. My eyes pick up a certain range of the light waves, but uh, it, it doesn't see, for example, ultraviolet, which some insects see. The same with our ears. There's pitches that are too high for my, my ears to, to take in and, and too low to take in. Because it's been shaped by the environment that helps me in this biological way. It supports me. And it's a co-arising with this interaction with the world. And I, th I think that these five spiritual faculties, what I want to conjecture, let's say in a poetic way, remember I'm not a scientist, <laughs> and I find that the, taking the Buddha's teachings as poetry really helpful, but in, in a way that they're, they're faculties in the sense that they interact with the world and they interact with this spiritual path that we can call the Dharma. And through that interaction, they arise and they allow me to navigate the world in a particular way, in a particular way that's, that's influenced by my spiritual practice. My five senses allow me to navigate the world that's influenced by my biology. These five spiritual faculties allow me to navigate the world being influenced by the Dharma or a, a, a spiritual path. So what are these five faculties? And I'll be uh, naming them and then a little bit later going more in depth in them. The first one, the Pali word, it's a difficult word to, to translate, it's sadha. And sometimes it's translated as confidence, conviction, or kind of dedication to the path and the practice, or faith. Sometimes I, I don't use the word faith because it can have so many connotations for some of us growing up in other religious traditions, yeah. Uh, but it has this, this sense of maybe uh, confidence, conviction, and I'll, I'll share a story around that to help clarify that. So that's the first one. And then the second one is energy, the energy to practice in a particular flavor of energy. Mindfulness, which probably most of us know about. Samadhi, that's another faculty of our hearts which allows the mind to collect, to unify, to, so it's not as distracted. And wisdom, having the wisdom to know how to respond to the world rather than react. And they are, sent, they are faculties of the heart. Right? My five senses allow me to walk in the world in a particular way. And these five spiritual faculties allow me to walk in the world in a particular way that's, that's influenced by this path. And they're intertwined. So when I have confidence, just start with the first one, in a spiritual path, it, uh, it it's allows me to feel some stability to navigate the ups and downs of my life, the, the worries, the disappointments, the frustrations, right? the, the, the sadness or the grief or the confusion. And when I have confidence in a path, guess what? It leads to having some energy to practice with ease and diligence. When I got some energy to practice, there's mindfulness. <laughs> when there's mindfulness, the mind can start to collect 
you know, when the mind starts to collect and all of these are there, there can be some wisdom of like, I can start to respond to the world rather than to react to it. Do you hear how these are intertwined and they build on one another? Just as we can refine our sense faculties, I can refine and deepen these spiritual faculties. And, and they're, I would call, say that they're special. So indriya, remember I, I shared with you that term. It comes from the Vedic god Indra. You know, the, the Buddha's surrounded by this early Vedic tradition that's in India. And Indra is a deity that protects, it protects, Indra protects our happiness and well-being. And then the Buddha switches it around. It's like, oh, it's not a god. It's these spiritual faculties that you can cultivate that can protect your happiness and well-being. So this is a big change in a spiritual path. It's not, it's not a deity, but a cultivation of the heart that leads to freedom. And they're within me, but not me. They're, they're something more vast, more profound than just little old me. They have this potential for freedom. So a, a step deeper in all these five, these, these five uh, uh, spiritual faculties that hopefully you can relate to or see the value in your own life. The example I want to give you for around uh, confidence or dedication is kind of the, the story of this cellist, uh, uh, Vidran uh, Smilovic. He, he was a cellist who was living in Sarajevo during the siege of Sarajevo. It was, the siege of Sarajevo was a, was, a, was a horrific time in the early 90s. And what had happened was during the siege, the, the um, Serbian forces had surrounded the city of Sarajevo. And it was a siege that lasted for close to four years. So that means there was daily shelling. There was often a lot of snipers that would uh, target civilians. Lack of food, lack of heat. Water and electricity could be really difficult during that entire time. So a scary time for the people still in Sarajevo. And what Vedran Smelovic would do is he would, uh, he would dress up in his concert attire and then he would go out with his cello in all kinds of places. Sometimes he would be just in the streets where he'd be playing randomly or at a funeral. Sometimes he would be connecting with people in a bomb shelter. And so you never knew when or where he was going to be playing, but he, he played so much for the people of Sarajevo. Over 250 times he would go out like this. And of course, a, a very dangerous situation. And when I slowed down with that, I think, wow, that's, that's confidence. That's dedication. That's faith, that's sadha. It, it takes a, a deep confidence, a deep commitment to do something like that. 
right? A, a confidence to commit to playing, to commit to creating beauty in such a situation. And what I imagine, and I think this is important, I feel like he wasn't playing, he, he, he didn't play to stop the siege. He didn't play because it was gonna feed people. He didn't play because it was gonna bring back heating or electricity or running water. He didn't play because it was gonna stop the sniper fire or incessant daily shelling. And I point that out to point out that this quality of confidence in such an act, it doesn't fit into some nice, nice, nice little neat package where when A happens, then B happens. He didn't have that. Yet we know that he deeply moved people during that time. Probably can't even count the ways that he deeply moved people. And ever since then, he has deeply moved people. Do you hear the connection in the important connection with this path and this practice? To have confidence in this practice of, for example, meditation that we do here. But I need to have a confidence of like, that doesn't fit into this nice, neat little package of A happens, I meditate, oh, and then B is gonna happen. Have you ever noticed it doesn't work like that? <laughs> It, that takes a kind of faith or a dedication to wait that out. You need to have that confidence like Vidran Smilovic to know that this makes a difference. I need to know that it makes a difference in my life and I feel like it makes a difference in the world I live in. I don't know exactly how, I can't, I can't trace the line from A to B, but to have confidence in that. So important. And it, this leads to the, the question of how do you tend that fire of dedication in your own practice? What fuels the fire to keep it going? Because this is the first spiritual faculty. This is why I'm spending so much time on it. Because often if confidence is there, these other ones will, will, will unfold so naturally. So how do you cultivate your dedication? Maybe it's coming to Monday nights here in person or online. It's reading a book or listening to a Dhamma talk. Meditating might be spiritual friends. Maybe it's being out in nature. What is that for you? Because if probably if we were to go around, it would be a little bit different for each, each and every one of you. But what it is for you is important. And if it's not clear to discover that, it's really so much of what's needed here. Because as I was saying earlier, when I have confidence, a dedication in a way of practicing, what's gonna naturally arise? I'm gonna have energy to practice. This is so intertwined. So this, uh, this next quality, energy, virya is the Pali word. As one teacher put it in terms of the quality of energy, I both need 
to be super relaxed the way we began our meditation and really diligent. And both are important. I know for me, when I was a Zen monk, I had the diligent side down, but not the other side. And what, what was there was there was a kind of tight, tightness in my practice, in my meditation and how I was carrying myself throughout the day. And I remember uh, there was this moment where I had, I was in the midst of deciding to leave and I'd, I'd, I'd left that whole way of practicing for a whole host of reasons. That's a whole other talk. But when I was in the midst of that, somebody asked me, yo, what's up? Why, why are you leaving? And it was interesting what just randomly bubbled up, which I was surprised by, but felt also aligned. And I said to a fellow monk, I said, one of the reasons I'm leaving is I need more kindness. It's like I needed more kindness and tenderness and softness towards myself, probably to, to others. But really in my practice, it was missing. An image that I find helpful in light of what I'm sharing is uh, one teacher likens energy to uh, running water in a stream. You put your hand in a stream and water is so soft and tender, right? It's running against, up against my, my hand, but it's not, it's not violent at all. It's like the, the ultimate in, in softness. And yet it wears away the hardest of rocks through its diligence. It's, it's that, it's that what I'm, is what I'm looking for when I'm practicing meditation, when I'm going about my day with mindfulness, when I'm interacting with others. So persistent, diligent, so diligent like water running and so soft, so at ease. So I have, I have confidence, I have this energy to practice. And then there's mindfulness, which we know about being present in this way that's then supported by this easeful diligence. Being present with the unfolding of experience. And then what's intertwined with that, and you might know this with meditation, is that also when I'm mindful, sometimes what happens with the heart and mind is it begins to be able to linger with an experience, like linger with the breath or a sound. It's a little bit more collected. It's not as scattered. This quality of samadhi. And then we have the last one, which is, is intertwined with this, which is wisdom. This, uh, it's understanding, the way I, I, I'm articulating it tonight, it's like it's understanding the nature of my human predicament and being able to skillfully respond. You know, the, the Buddha like, you know, connects it with the Four Noble Truths, but that's a, a way of understanding the way the Four Noble Truths function. You know, wisdom is, is deeply understanding the Four Noble Truths. So I understand my human predicament and I can respond rather than just getting hooked on my reactivity. So one example of this, um, and I, I want to point out how simple wisdom can work at times. I woke up this morning, 
maybe it's, it's, I, had, I had led a weekend retreat this weekend, and then I woke up this morning, and what my mind was flooded with was a list of things that I was supposed to do this weekend, that people were waiting for me to get things on, that I hadn't gotten to. And when that thought arose, an emotion arose. You ever have this experience, or am I the only one on Monday mornings? <laughs> it's like, oh my God, how could I? Feels like it's happening more often, which I really don't like, but that's my aversion. <laughs> and there was worry. And maybe it's from the, this is the nice thing about retreats. Maybe retreats aren't so good for memory, but it's good for being okay with not having a good memory. Mm -hmm. So that was <laughs> quite nice. <laughs> and then it was just noticing, oh, worry, like we were doing. And worry feels like this. And I could lay in bed and feel that in my body. And also being clear, like, it, it, this is kind of implied, it hasn't really helped me in my life just to be lost in my worry. <laughs> I know this sounds completely obvious, but I do need to remind myself of this, because it can be so enticing. Am I the only one? Or like, or this an embarrassing moment where like... <laughs> but it's like I get hooked. It's like there's something that in my system that really thinks that worry is going to help. But it hasn't yet. But my mind keeps on trying it. And so hopefully you're hearing what's intertwined with this. There's the noticing of worry. I'm labeling it. I'm feeling it in the body. And then what's implied in there are these five spiritual faculties. I have some confidence in this practice. If I didn't have confidence in it, I wouldn't be trying it. There's some energy where I'm at ease. But I'm also diligent. I'm diligently feeling it. And then there's the mindfulness and also lingering with that so it could move on through and then the wisdom is there. And there's probably other qualities, a little bit of patience and equanimity. And I want to point out all these different facets of the heart that are intertwined now that, that the practice has taken hold. Because often, you know, a meditation teacher will give the instruction, which I did in this meditation, uh, just to be with it. Just be with it, which is good. I mean, I use it a lot, but it also can be misleading as if all I need to do is be with it. But, but sometimes being with it, it can be confusing because being with worry could be just being lost in worry. <laughs> Am I being with it? Yeah, I'm being lost in worry. And that there's more going on in just being with it. There's more there. What I'm bringing to the worry is some patience, some equanimity, some mindfulness. And it's not like I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to bring this to it, but it's like I get a feeling of it. It's like, oh, here's the feeling of meditation that I can start to bring to this that has these qualities. And this is why there's these lists, is to get a sense of like, oh, there are these heart qualities in my meditation. There are these heart qualities in my life. And when I notice them, it nurtures them. So this is this realm of these five spiritual faculties and how they help shape what it is to meditate. It's just not about mindfulness, but these other qualities that support the unfolding of, of this path. And they, they shape my heart 
and my heart shapes them. So what I mean by this is my heart shapes, for example, faith or confidence or dedication through my particular experiences and the particular person I am. And that's the same for all of us, which I think is super cool that our qualities of confidence might have um, certain flavors to them because of the particular person that we are. So for example, for me, some of you have heard this for the last number of years, my partner and I have been going out and doing these solo retreats in kind of the woods near Flagstaff. And they've been powerful. These, so sometimes we were in there, out there for a month or a few weeks. And, it's, it's, uh, and that particularity has uh, uh, shaped my confidence. It's like the, the woods, the natural world of Flagstaff has shaped the particular confidence and faith that I have in this path and practice. This is so cool. Maybe some of you can relate to this. And then it works the other way. Then that faith and confidence shapes me and how I work, uh, walk in the world. So it's this relationship with all of them, with the mindfulness, with the samadhi, with the energy, with the wisdom, that there's a particularity and also it, it uh, uh, shapes me. Such a beautiful relationship. Also, I'm using the word shaping to remember uh, something too, is that I don't have, and I, I know I've said this a lot, but I'd like to come back to it. I don't have control over my experience and yet I can gradually shape it because that can be so much the hook that I'm hoping for finally a day where I'm in control, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> and, and I love one of the images that the Buddha gives for the path, for this path. And for those of you who are in the, this eight-month course, you'll be familiar with this because it's part of this month's work. He, he likens this path to crossing over a flood. I find that interesting. So he's, so he's really clear. It's not about crossing over a stream. And it's not about crossing over a river. It's about crossing over a flood. Oh, it's that difficult. And when I remember that life can be that difficult or that it can be difficult to engage in my path and my practice in my days, this can be accurate and also make me realize what I'm up against in terms of my own habitual conditioning. Just the, the the vagaries of this world that I live in. There's a, the poet Marie Howe, I feel like speaks to this. She's, she's talking in a, from a different tradition, but it fits with what I'm trying to share here, the, the challenge here. And in this poem, she's speaking about prayer. It's the title of the poem, Prayer. And I, I translate it in my own experience as kind of meditation. She says, every day I want to speak with you, and every day something more important calls for my attention. The drugstore, the beauty products, the luggage I need to buy for the trip. Even now I can hardly sit here among the falling piles of paper and clothing, the garbage trucks outside already screeching and banging. 
The mystics say you are as close as my own breath. Why do I flee from you? My days and nights pour through me like complaints and become a story I forgot to tell. Help me. Even as I write these words, I am planning to rise from the chair as soon as I finish this sentence. Can you relate to this? I know I can. It's like, and it's so weird, something so profound and vast and mysterious like meditation. And all these other things get ahead of that. It's tough. And, and this is why the, the Buddha points out with these qualities of heart, we need support, like the support of Sangha or community, the support of spiritual friends suitable friends, as he says, on the path. Kindness and compassion to really nurture these qualities like this five spiritual faculties. And so may we shape and nurture these five spiritual faculties with this kindness and tenderness that I'm pointing to here at the end. And to do this for ourselves, and for others, and for the whole world. Thank you, thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.